Welcome back, everybody, to the 10th and final episode of the first season of Chronicles of the Omen. Now, you may be thinking, wait, this is three months after episode 9, to which I would be saying, time isn't actually a thing, it's more of something you just make up. So we're going to move past that. But yes, it is three months later, technically, if we want to date it. Moving along, obviously the campaign did not have a proper conclusion. However, given the way the story was going, given the way I knew the guys that played the characters, and, and given the general vibe of uh, how episode one through nine went, if you take a moment to review those episode titles there, I've got a pretty good idea of how the story would have ended. And in fact, in my world, there will be another season of Chronicles of the Omen eventually, you know, I, I promise, someday, maybe. But, I, I have a new group of people. Hopefully it's going to be consistent, hopefully we're going to, you know, hopefully no more three-month breaks. But, the idea is that all of these stories are set in the same world, they're all set on the exact same continent, different areas of the world, but nonetheless, if you walked or traveled far enough, you would be able to get to where the other stories are taking place. So, where... Where Theo, Clem, Desarup, and Harold were previously, I was in a region called T-Tal. Now, if you watched episode one through three, I think, you would probably know that. I don't expect anybody to actually remember that by heart. I've actually got a world map pulled up in front of me as I reference this. And so the whole kind of arc their characters went on as I pull up their document here. All right, so their story arc was called Trouble in T-Tal. That's kind of how I framed it from the very beginning. That's what I told them it was going to be called, and that's kind of what it was. And then over, you know, a few weeks or whatever, it transitioned into the second, uh, the secondary arc of the story that they were being told, and that was the Treasures of Thakai. And I gave them a new updated image for it and all that fun stuff. And during that little short sub-storyline, they also were sent by Artemis, who was a kind of shady contact of Clem's, into this little desert city called Thakai. And there they were told to retrieve a geode, which was just called a zonal geode. I still haven't given it a different name. It's probably going to be its name forever. But they were the, they were the focus characters. So as I'm looking at my document here, Clem, Desru, Harold, Theo, they were the main characters of the whole arc. I don't worry about NPCs in that front. Focused locations for their story was in, again, T-Tal and Thakai. And then there was that three-day period of them traveling where a lot of bad stuff happened. Uh, that was in the Taran Desert, T-A-R-R-A-N Desert. I'm not going to spell out anything before that. You just have to figure it out. Uh, good luck, I guess. However, um, something I had no plans for happened, of course, as it goes in D&D, and the treasures of Thakai did not wrap up very quick. Now, if you've seen episode 9, and I believe it might have been episode 8, again, I did not review this, no, no preparation, professional here. You would know that Clem and a couple others, I don't even know who at this point, but Clem and somebody else were able to actually get the geode pretty fast whenever they got to Thakai. However... Desarup decided to pay a visit to this little place called the Wukong Far-Flung... Oh, I used to know. The Far-Flung Fane of Wukong. And Fane is... Uh, I don't know what it means. F-A-N-E. Look it up. Look it up yourself, you goober. 
and what he sort of discovered was a nice table inside and it looked like the top of a shield guardian head but it was massive and it was built on the ground it's like oh cool that's fun and then he went down he found a little entrance into the table which was kind of strange you know why would a table have a room under it However, he went down in this room and discovered a small spot in the wall. And it, whenever, if you've seen the episode or heard the episode, you know there's some pretty cool sound effects I put in there. And in short, he put a power core from the proper time era into a proper shield guardian from said time era. And it awoke and it awakened a first generation shield guardian. And this thing is huge. If you've heard, again, if you've heard the episode, you know this thing is massive, towers over the city. I did a little bit of art for it, again, not too much in detail, I'm not that talented, but I did enough to represent sort of the scale of this thing to the city, and it was massive. Picture sort of not quite most recent Godzilla, probably half the size of most recent Godzilla. Sure, why not? However, that ended up destroying that entire little Wukong temple that he initially was thinking about restoring. It's gone, by the way, it's a pit in the hole, it's a pit in the ground, because Whenever that giant shield guardian rose out of the ground from being powered on and awakened, in its wake, there were about 300 small normal size, first generation shield guardians. Now I know I've said first generation shield guardian a couple times, and it's a, it's a homebrew term that I came up with, and it might be a thing in normal 5e and whatever before. Again, no research, professional. However, I will just tell you in my world, the Shield Guardians have gone through quite a few reiterations. Now, modern days, they're the normal Shield Guardian you imagine. You can sort of summon them with an item or whatever, however it works. Again, I haven't had a character with one in a while. But the first generation Shield Guardians were not built with compassion. They were not built with understanding. They were built with a directive and the means to do the directive and the directive of the paladins in the very beginning when they were fighting all the undead was to kill so these gener these first generation shield guardians are a massive threat because they they don't just stop at undead they they go for the whole shish kebab um and so they found about 300 of them now that was about the end i think of where those characters were seen i know they decided to go back into the desert in which they ended up in Kenal Canyon, where very quickly Clem and the party were able to dispel uh, Tamar the Warlord's replacement, who was someone. I, for I even forget his name at this point. But anyway, they were able to replace Cyrus, that's his name. And Cyrus was supposed to take over after Tamar, but he got pretty much two shot by the party and an NPC. So, uh, yeah. So they wiped out Cyrus. And that's kind of where the story ended. Now I know we're about, with edits, about six and a half minutes into this little explanation. And you're probably thinking, can we hurry up and get to this? But if you actually enjoy my rambling, that's great because I don't know who actually does. So let me just break down a bit further. So I'm just gonna read you what I have written down on my side about their, their two little sub story arcs here. The party is contracted by Artemis on behalf of the Acolytes of the One to retrieve an artifact from the arid city of Thekai. Smalls, who played Harold, learns more about what happened with Kent, one of his NPC allies. Desrup learned more about the Wukong's, the Wukong Order's dark past and questions their current motives. And Theo was able to learn more about Thekai's power coming from a handful of very similar gems to the one that he founded his entire religion on. 
and at the Ark's conclusion, Desroop accidentally awoke the massive first-generation Shield Guardian. The party was able to defeat the construct, only for Desroop to discover a massive gathering of smaller guardians in a crater left from the giant guardian's resting place. And that's pretty much where we ended in episode 9. Now we are in the finale, technically. Now this is an interesting one because some of these characters I have picked up and straight moved their story into the other sort of characters that are in this world. Now the one that immediately I will address is Clem. So Clem, just a refresher, he is a purple tiefling, he is a rogue. He was a bit quiet, honestly, it's something Spencer changed with his newest character who I cannot wait for you all to meet. He is fantastic, let's just say he loves turtles. Alright, so Clem was again a male tiefling rogue, he was about level 7 whenever we last saw him. He was able to get the gauntlet off an interdimensional pig warrior that came from my 2016 world. Straight up copy and pasted him from my old world into this one. Again, you're welcome, no way home, thanks Marvel. And he was also able to get a couple other important items. So Medallion of Thoughts was a, an item that he got that allowed him to kind of read the minds of some people around him as well as some of the items he had, just a, a normal little dagger and a couple of pretty basic spells. However, something that Clem's player Spencer and I have discussed is Clem's place in this world. Now, whenever Tamar the Warlord was slain, that pretty much opened up a throne in a place called the Sand Fortress, I believe is what it's called. The Sand Fortress, yeah, there you go. Picture Jabba the Hutt's palace. There you go. You're welcome. And there's a there's a pretty good little throne in there. And pretty fast after Tamar the Warlord was defeated, aka handicapped by Clem, in the middle of season one, yikes, Cyrus came in after him and took over very fast. But with Cyrus not honestly having more than a week in that actual fortress before he decided to go out and unfortunately meet the party and get eliminated. That left the throne open once again. So with very little resistance and a couple close allies, Clem was able to sneak into the Sand Fortress. And with a little bit of prowl and a little bit of thinking other people's thoughts, reading them and other sort of magic abilities in that fashion, he and his allies were able to get to the throne. And now he rests upon the throne that was once the home of Prince Tarin the Wise. Now, what he's gonna do from there is a great question. He has already made a small group that's starting to grow in the world. It is called The Nameless. It's a secret society aiming to restore balance to the world by eliminating certain threats across the Tarin region. Again, this group is led by Clem, and in a sort of Book of Boba Fett fashion, he chose Artemis as his number two. And for the most part, that pretty well wraps him up at the moment. He's got, this, he's got his base, he's got his little secret society that he's working on, and the other players have not seen him yet, just because, you know, they need a bit of time before they, they I, before I fully cross the streams and the two lines of Gurren hit each other of each side of my world. Now, moving on to the next character, a bit easier for this one, is Theo Vidrick. Now, Theo was played by a guy named Scram. 
Uh, his schedule changed drastically right at the end of the season, so he was not able to make it from there or further on since then, which is unfortunate, but you know, that's how D&D goes. So for his character, his guy, if you remember, had a gem that he got visions from. It gave him sort of prophecies of the future, that sort of storyline. And he was a male dragonborn warlock that praised sort of Hydaelyn, which is in my world, the god of light. If you played Final Fantasy, there you go. You're going to know. Now, Theo decided after Clem pieced off into the desert, Theo went back to his stronghold inside the city of Tital. And for the most part, that's where his story is going to stay. Now, it is going to amass more and more followers. His religion's going to get more widespread across the world, depending on how some rolls I physically do on my desk in front of me go with a, D with a D20. So we'll see how that one goes. So he is, for the most part, taken care of as well. Now, Deserup is an interesting character because he was actually going to be the focus of the next story arc, which was which was sort of about going to the Far East. And that is where more of those Wukong orders were hanging out. And supposedly the mountain under which Wukong was stuck beneath was over there. Again, his schedule got all sorts of messed up, so we ended up disconnecting. Which is, again, fine. It's how it goes. I've got a, we've got new players, everything, you know, whatever. How it goes. So his character is interesting because he kind of already set off. So he has multiple NPCs with him, and he is actually off the main continent. Now again, quick refresh, the main continent is called Bainjun. B-E-I-N-J-U-U-N. Yep, yep, spelled it right, good. And the Far East is another continent. I don't have a name for it because, again, nobody has been there yet. They've only heard about it. But he's there, technically. Now, if he's going to be able to actually free Wukong from under that mountain, or if he's just going to die trying, we don't know. Now, we'll see in the future, of course, because I, I don't like to leave threads hanging. Now, the final thread to address is Harold Vagabond. And Harold is a very, very interesting character in that he has one of the pretty much Infinity Stones of this world. Now, in my world, ever since... My very first job was at Subway in like 2016, maybe 2015, I don't know. Uh, either way, I started writing books, books of information about different characters that I just came up with in my head. And the Valgarian Loridium gems, those sort of the Loridium gems, the Loridium crystals as I call them, were very much at the forefront, even way back then at this point. Um... So it's something that I've always been drawn to. Probably because it's been Marvel movies the whole time, to be honest. And now that that's over, I still have an interest in them. So he was able to acquire... Which one is it? The Dimensional Jewel. Which gave him a bonus to his wisdom. And it... Uh, oh, no, I'm reading the wrong one. That one gave him a bonus to his dexterity. I believe it gave him a plus five. I could be wrong on that one. Um, and it allows him to sort of shift through different spots in the world now it's kind of interesting because it doesn't have very much of a limit so just a quick refresh he is able to he had to make a deck saving throw it was very high however he was able to make it um he was able to harness the power so he was able to gain plus five to his decks which bumped him up to 25 good lord he got advantage on acrobatic checks, advantage on dexterity saves, advantage on initiative rolls, and he got a plus 10 feet to his walking speed. 
And the gem also had five charges that can be used in various ways. Some are pretty easy that you can walk through physical objects until you stop moving. It can be very beneficial in the right situation. Again, very easy one charge for that sort of thing. However, the gem also, again, had five charges. Now, you could spend all five charges to teleport all hostile creatures within a 10-foot radius to a location of your choosing on any plane. Now, that was wild. And he was able to use that, I believe. I'm, I, I don't recall for sure, but again, just fantastic. And that was able to regain 1d3 charges every morning. So he could just go have a ball every single day with that crystal. Now, the interesting thing is he's no longer pretty much bound to his walking speed. Now, his walking speed is 40. Again, he can walk a long way. He can walk 500 miles, as many would say. But he's also able to use four charges to teleport himself and friendly creatures in a 15-foot radius to a location of your choosing on any plane. Again, just bonkers. The ideas that... Immediately, I'm thinking of an isolated kingdom that nobody else is able to get to except you and your friends with this crystal. So you just grab everybody in a 15-foot radius, teleport them to your little tower in the, you know, the astral plane, whatever you choose there, whatever dimension you want to make up homebrew as I would do. You could do it. So it gives you a lot of options. And then, you know, you just hang out there until the next dawn, and then you just teleport out back to wherever you're trying to go in the world. I guess technically you are stuck there for a day. But who's to say time moves the same there? You could have dawn in half the time or twice the time. Who knows? So Harold is an interesting character because, again, he's not really bound. And with his character, Vagabond is a funny last name. I didn't quite get what it was when I first when he first made the character. But by the end, I'd understood the, the term for it, which is pretty funny when you actually look it up. Now, he is interesting because he's got some pretty powerful items. He's got a helm of telepathy. He has got a special short sword that is connected to the Zonal Sorcerers, which is a big item. He And he's got a couple other things even. He's got a wand of secrets. He's got that crystal with him. So he is a force to be reckoned with. And at the moment, he is free in the world. <laughs> Nobody really knows who he is. He had a pretty small upbringing in T-Tal. I'll get to what happens with T-Tal here in a moment. But let's just say nobody is too concerned about where is Harold Vagabond. So Harold is, again, pretty much gone into the world at this point. Now, again, they were in the T-Tau region. They were going to be, in, they were going to get pulled in by a character named Ignis Score, who was a paladin of the infernal Wukong Garrison in the Far East. He was a yellow tiefling with fire spells. He was actually the one that wiped out Cyrus, I believe. Um, so that was very exciting. Now, that was going to be an interesting storyline because we were supposed to explore sort of the Venom creature that uh, Desroop accidentally let infect himself. Yeah, I called it a symbiote because, again, it's pretty much what it is. It's fine. You know, it's fine. I think, I think other people have used that before. It's fine. Now, it's interesting because... After all of this happened, after all of their characters and all that happened, pretty much the party split up. So there wasn't a lot to get to for for each of them. However, uh, very quickly after the party split up, things got rather bad. In that those 300 or so first generation shield guardians that I mentioned about 10 minutes ago or so... 
yeah, they got out. So, very quickly, that region, the T-Tau region, again, got quickly overwhelmed. Which would normally not be that big of a deal, considering a zonal sorcerer technically did live there. His name was Villas. However, if you've seen the first season, you'll know Villas died pretty early into the season. And Villas was an interesting character because he's not quite a villain despite the name, clearly chosen by myself for the intent and purpose of what happened with him. However, something that happened with that character I did not anticipate was him being reborn. I don't remember where that idea came from, I don't know how it came to be, however, Villas was reborn. Now, he was initially, I believe, a red-scaled dragonborn that was pretty intimidating, if I'm gonna be honest. Uh, no, he was actually a black-scaled dragonborn with red scales down his throat. So yeah, a bit intense, if you will. However, whenever he was reincarnated, as though the gods wanted to play a joke on him, the Centurons, as the Centurons as they would be called in my world, he was reborn as a little, very small, purple-skinned tiefling boy. And my party quickly named him Young Timmy, I believe is what they, I don't fucking know, Young, young Timmy, now named Young Villy. So he was supposed to protect the region, again, you don't know much of the lore of these characters. If there's interest, I would be happy to elaborate. However, because he was a child, he was not actually able to defend against these shield guardians. And given how far away the Sand Fortress was, Clem was not quick to respond either. So by the time he was able to actually respond to this sort of situation, a lot of Thaikai has already fallen to those shield guardians. Which is a very, very big deal. Because Thakai is not the most, but it is one of the most technologically advanced cities in the whole continent of Bane June. But you can't do a lot against 300 murderous shield guardians that have pretty good, pretty good buffs against a lot of your defenses. Because again, they haven't dealt with any of these things in so long. So again, as I've said, Hundreds of these crazed shield guardians caused chaos in that city and its sister cities on the eastern coast of Bainjum. Now, <laughs> funny fact is that some powerful wizards were called in to deal with the threat, but they never showed up. So, did they get the message? Did they just say, nope, that's a lost cause, I've got better things to deal with? It. Who knows? What matters is that these shield guardians have rampaged across Thakai, across Tital, across many, uh, much of this region. That, and they've now begun actually getting locked in battles with local rulers that are getting a bit of proxy support from one of the largest empires on the continent. But again, against 300 shield guardians that have some pretty good natural defenses of their own, it's going to take a bit to get those defeated. So, the question is... We're about 20 minutes into this episode. The question is, where does Chronicles of the Omen go from here? It's a great question, and I'd like to thank myself for asking it. Now let me get into the answer. Chronicles of the Omen is an interesting concept because it started out and it still is a book series that I plan to release. 
So it's kind of like a space opera, but that's not important. Everything's a space opera nowadays. Who cares? How is it different? I'm not going to tell you. Eat my... Whatever. We'll get to it. However, Chronicles of the Omen again is an interesting concept because, as I just said, it started out as a book series. But then I realized that I could take a lot of the lore that I wrote for my book series and apply it to this world. And then I watched No Way Home uh, earlier this year. You might hear a motorcycle in the background. Sorry about that. But I, I watched No Way Home and I realized I have all of these worlds that I have made over time. Going back to, again, the first time I played Tabletop Simulator with all my friends and it was the most horrible no system to it. You roll a die, random shit happens sort of thing. And all the way back then, the continent was called Altoria. And there were other other worlds, other continents in there, like Delvoria and Illyria. All these other places in that world, in that same world, that were never quite addressed. And characters that never got their moment. Now, again, you know, the multiverse is a beautiful thing. Because it lets you do many, many, many things. So, what I have been able to do is... In, in the I, It was probably the first or second episode, I believe... It might have not actually made it into the first season. Either way, the party accidentally freed this horrible being called Superion. And with him being freed, he's able to sort of... He's one of these all-powerful zonal sorcerers. And he's not a good guy. Not a good guy at all. There's no reason he was locked away for a long time. Who's ever locked away for a good reason? A lot of people, actually, when you think about it. Either way. So, he was locked away for a long time. Now, his whole shtick... Is that he's trying to pretty much... Well, I'm not going to actually explain a lot of what he's doing. Because it'll show over time. It still connects to the current storyline. So, However, he is able to be thrown into other dimensions. By the other zonal sorcerers. There's nine or ten total. There's ten total. Nine without him. So I always say nine. So there's nine zonal sorcerers. And together they're able to kind of kick him to another dimension. And sometimes that dimension's in the past, which buys them even more time. Because then he's got 200 years in that dimension to rip through and jump ahead in time. Until he is able to, again, destroy that dimension and jump back into the prime dimension. Now, this has gone crazy off track, right? Right. However, I will say that... Through all of these different connections, I've been able to connect all of my old worlds. So, as I said, Chronicles of the Omen is a strange thing. Because it does connect my book series. It connects my D&D games. It connects my short stories that I write. It connects my... A lot of things. Uh, that's honestly pretty much the entire list. Um, anytime somebody goes on that long and then says, uh, oh, there's, a, there's a lot of things after that, they're pretty much done. That's pretty much the list. When you like, when you say, when you list out three things instead of two and then you say, etc., etc., period, in an email or something, that means you're out of ideas, usually. I mean, typically you're able to keep going. E either way, you're not listening to the podcast to learn about etc., right? So. Chronicles of the Omen. Where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? I know. We've been on this question for like four minutes, probably. I don't know. Okay, who cares? You're on the final episode of the season. This is, this is the finale special, believe it or not. It's literally just me talking to myself in the room with the lights off. Naked. I'm kidding. I've got clothes on. Or do I? However, 
the question that I keep getting off of is Chronicles of the Omen. What is going to happen? So there will be more seasons. I've got a I've got a group of guys that have been able to meet pretty consistently for about two months now, I think ish. It was very rough in the beginning, get every getting everybody together. However, I think I'm to a point where I'm able to actually kind of pull everyone into a recording and sort of start doing the episodes again. So don't take it as a promise. Again, I don't want to break anybody's heart. You know, that's what they call me, a heartbreaker. But Chronicles of the Omen will be back. And I will be spending a little bit of money on advertising. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm talking, I will dig through my pockets right now. And that is what I will spend on advertising. And wouldn't you believe it? I've got not a damn thing in my pockets. That's right, everybody. I'm not advertising. No, I will. So, yes. Chronicles of the Omen will be back. It will be back strong. It will be back with RP. We are going to have turtles. We are going to have centaurs. We are going to see a fire clan that is going ba 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 bonkers in the world right now. You are going to see an emperor fall from the lineage of the good, good, good emperor into a shitbird. And you're going to see so much more than that on season two of Chronicles of the Omen. You have probably just heard that drop. Uh, that's me dropping my pants. I cannot believe season two is coming. I am that excited. However, this is pretty much going to wrap up the first season of Chronicles of the Omen. Now, just to sort of give you a rundown on what to expect with Season 2, I have got four players. Uh, one of them you will recognize if you watched Season 1. It is going to be Spencer. Again, his character is... I'm not going to give away the whole thing with him. It's not that funny. I'm just so stupid. I'm just so immature. I don't know why. I just think it's funny. He's a turtle. Okay, that's it. He's a turtle. That's what, that's what gets me. He's a turtle. So he's a turtle artificer that is focused on discovering more of his abilities and how to protect his kingdom that he comes from overall. His other little goal is to keep his allies safe. Which leads into the guy who was keeping him safe, because Aloe is a clueless noble. He's intelligent, but he's clueless to the world. And he is being protected by a monk who is named Ferris. And Ferris has a last name. What it is off the top? Don't know. However, he was a monk. He serves the Raven Queen, and his goal is to extinguish the undead in the world. He's very much enticed by relevant information. He doesn't need... Okay, I'm going to leave that part out there. However, I do need to point out before I get into the last two characters here, this sounds like a dating profile show. All right, everybody, moving along, we've got Severos. He is a cleric centaur noble who hates the Jinn Empire for not supporting his battalion in the battle against undead. Seeking to join the League against the Jinn Empire, this cleric centaur follows Tyr, the god of justice and protection. Now our last bachelor goes by the name of Tanto, that is T-A-N-T-O. He is a Ganassi rogue with great luck and psychic blade abilities. People see him as legendary, even though in his eyes, he is definitely not. He owes somebody very important a bit of money that he needs to keep happy. And he does not worship the gods. And those are the characters that you're going to see in Season 2. Now, there was a character previously played by the Cleric Centaur's player. However, that character actually got his arc pretty much concluded by the end of the two stories that they went through. So, he's uh, he's done. So, that's great. 
so the whole flight of the Firebird arc that they were involved in ended with Emperor Jin donning a Fire Clan cloak, that's a mouthful, while declaring the League of Adventurers terrorists. Supreme Leader Oswin, the guy I mentioned got ganked by the party, actually he failed his death saving throw, so not the party, he sent a letter to many nobles across the world, marking the League and the Kingdom that Spencer's turtle character comes from as traitors, which Oswin was then murdered, um, or died. So that pretty much proved his point, even though nobody knows the context of how he died. Which leaves our characters on the run, which again leads into Season 2. So Season 2 is going to pick up nice and hot. We are going to pick up in central Bainjun with, again, Aloferis Savianus, I believe, and Tanto. And it's going to be a doozy because these guys have got bounty hunters after them. They are trying to sell a platinum cube that is worth 200,000 US dollars. Very expensive. They are on the run and it's going to be fun. And I hope you're going to be here to join us. So if you're still listening, I very much appreciate you joining me. I know it was kind of a, obviously a little bit of a lackluster finale, but hopefully I pulled it together just a little bit. Not like my life at all, but you know, whatever. But either way, I will see you all soon with a new little group, with a new story in the same old world. And if you have any feedback, feel free to shoot it to me. I've got an email set up for this podcast, but I don't think I've ever actually mentioned it before. So if you want to send me an email, you can send it to me at chroniclesoftheomen at gmail.com. Now, if you don't know how to spell those words, Google Chronicles, like Chronicles of Narnia. Now replace of Narnia with of the omen, and that's my email. You can reach out to me there, and I will respond pretty quickly. So let me know what you think, and I will see you in Season 2 of Chronicles of the Omen. Thank you, and goodbye.